Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Baylife Church Port Stevens. We hope you find this message challenges and inspires you in your daily Christian walk. For more information, visit www.baylifechurch.org.au. What would your answer be? Would it be happiness, success, wealth, fun, fame, safety? Whether you realise it or not, we all have values and our answer reveals those. Hang on, I need to move here. There's too much light going on on the page. I can't see. Too much brightness. Um, If it's fun, that will be the dominant thing that helps you make decisions if I've got two events to go to if my biggest value in life would be fun and I think it kind of is up there (laughs) do I go to this event that's really boring or do I go to this event that's really fun it's like "Mm, no brainer fun Um, but for you it might be safety therefore your decisions are made oh that's too risky I'm not going to do that you pick safety it's kind of what drives us God tells us that our dominant life value is love And learning to love is the number one lesson he wants you to learn here on earth. Jesus says that the Bible can pretty much be summed up in two commands, and we all know what that is. Love God and love your neighbour. The more we learn to love authentically, the more like Jesus we become. And that's pretty cool, isn't it? So when we're in trouble, we need an expert, right? If you have a problem with a blocked drain, you're going to call a plumber. If you've got a problem with your car, you're going to go to a mechanic, So what about our relationships? I think Jesus was great at relationships. The crowd flocked to him. His disciples loved hanging around with him. And even his enemies were fearful of him. Relationships are wonderful. We all know that, don't we? But they can be painful. And we know that too, don't we? Jesus understands this and came to begin a new relationship with you and me. One that will strengthen all our other relationships. We get this one right and then our other relationships can be strengthened. He shows us a new way to enjoy relating to God and to others. Nothing, I don't think, is more important than relationships. God created you for relationship. Miss out on this important priority and you miss the core reason we are on this planet. They can be difficult, so what we tend to do is put them on the bottom of the list. They're too hard, too hard basket. Let's not worry too much about them and focus on other things. But a life without relationships may be a simple life, simpler life, but it is also an empty life. And I don't know about you, but I can think of people that live like this. Relationships are just too hard, so they just avoid them at all costs, but they live very empty lives. Maybe this is you today. It's okay to know about relating to God and to others in your head, but it's different to outwork it in your heart. And it's easy for unimportant things to intrude. Here's a couple of examples I thought of. You get up early, you make this great decision. I'm getting up early in the morning, spend time with God. First thing you do, might be reading your Bible on your phone and then all of a sudden you're flipping through Facebook and your emails and the sports scores and all the rest of it, totally distracted. Your best friend might be pouring her heart out to you. That's why I laugh, Sharon. Some of your examples today were very much along mine. Um... She's pouring out a heart to you and she's just got something stuck in her tooth. And all you can do is look at the damn thing in the tooth. You don't even hear anything she's saying. It's so it's easy to get distracted, you know, like, mm, 
just get that out. Your spouse is trying to talk to you about something really important. But your mind just keeps wandering to the fact that your favourite TV show is just about to start. Your kid finally wants to talk to you, finally wants to open up. But you're so pressured by the day's tasks that you feel yourself rushing the conversation. You know, do we really value relationships? The only way we can change the priority is to make some different choices in our relationships. So what Jesus takes two sentences to say, it takes a lifetime for us to put into practice. So the bit of scripture we're going to look at today is, you know, as the great commandment. And it's found in three of the Gospels, or two of the Gospels, actually. But we're going to look at the version in Mark. So if, oh, if it's up there. Um, Jesus is having a bit of a Q&A here in this part of Scripture. The Pharisees, the teachers, they're all throwing all these questions at him. What about this, Jesus? Who, who, who's going to be your wife if you've been married lots of times? Who's your wife in heaven? And they're just trying to catch him out. And then they throw this question at him and they go, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And this is what he replies. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God, you all know this one, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So when Jesus spoke these words, he's saying that these are the two things need to be our biggest priority. Love God, love people. You might think, yeah, of course that's right. Yeah. But how does that really outwork in your life? How is that displayed as a value when he wants us to place so much um, value on relationships? So that you can have a little think for a minute about what you do um, in your own life. What's the first thing you think about in the morning when you wake up? What does your schedule tell you about your own priorities? Looking at your bank account, what actually takes priority in your life? And what do you find yourself talking most about? They're the things that actually are what you are spending time valuing in your life. So many things can distract us. The pursuit of making money is one thing that can just take us totally off track from our relationships. We can spend so much time getting ourselves set up for life that we miss out on the most important thing in life, the people in our world. And dads, you know, can I encourage you? I respect men that they have to spend their life working to provide for their family. But don't do that in spite, in leave your family grasping for relationship with you. You've just got to find that balance somewhere. Tasks are another area that rob us of relationship if we don't keep things in balance. Jesus was a great example of how he managed both. Often he was on the way to heal someone or go and see someone do something really important, but he got distracted along the way and he just took time to speak or notice people in the crowd. He chose people over tasks and that's what we need to do. And you might think, yeah, that was all right for Jesus back then. He didn't have much to do. We live in the 21st century. <laughs> That's our lives, isn't it? Full on. But the truth is, whenever a task needs to be accomplished, there's the temptation to make the task more important than the people for whom you are doing the task. Hey, and I am so preaching to myself here. I am a very task-centered person, as a lot of you know me. I guess get that job done get the job done but I've had to learn it especially in ministry it's a strength and it's a weakness yes I get the job done really well but often the people are just like whoa get out of the way just let me get the job done so I've, I've had to really learn this uh, over the years 
And I read this once in a leadership book and it has always stayed with me. And it says, God does not demand of me that I accomplish great things. He demands of me that I strive for excellence in my relationships. See the difference? It's great to do good things, but it's so important to have great relationships. And when you put your value on relationships firstly with God, then others, then you can make choices that will help get that balance right in life. So a question for you. What do the ways you spend your time and money on say about your top priorities in life? Something you need to ponder, okay? Let that sink in and have a real think about that. So it's easy to talk about the key relationships, but how do we put it into practice? I'm a very practical person. So we're going to actually look at how do we love God with all our heart, mind, strength and soul today, okay? Um, there's lots of different ways we could do it and I think you could do a message on each of those. But we're just going, just going to take one thing for each of them. So love God with all your heart, I think, is talking to God aloud and with emotion, I don't know how you pray, how you spend time with God, but I'm a bit of an external processor. And I just talk to God like he's right there. I'm talking to him out loud. You probably, someone walked past thinking, oh, she's a bit mad. But I'm just talking to God. And I think that's how we need to talk to God. And if we want to look at an amazing person who did that, is just look at the Psalms. Look at how David, who was a man after God's own heart, look how he prayed to God, full of emotion, wasn't he? He held nothing back. Sometimes I think our prayers can be a little bit uh, silent, maybe from the head a little bit too much. Maybe we just sort of think it through a bit. I think we've just got to abandon ourselves to God and be emotional. Tell him what's on your heart. He knows what's going on. That's what Sharon said. He knows what's going on, so why bother hiding from him? Get emotional, get real, get genuine in your heart and in your prayer. Speak what you're feeling you're feeling in pain and you're down, tell God about it. Don't pretend, don't hide in your prayers from him. Um, David, most of his psalms, David just pours out his heart with emotion. But by the time he gets to the end of the psalm, there's a kind of peace about him. So he's processing, probably nothing's changed, circumstances. And it's the same with our lives. We know circumstances don't often change, but our heart changes and we get peace in our heart. So look, how can we do this? Just a couple of psalms. I haven't even listed the psalms. There's just too many. Just basically open up your Bible and look in the psalms and they're there. Talk to God about your feelings. What's paining you? David says, I'm worn out from groaning all night long. I weep and I drench my couch with tears. Talk to God about your weaknesses. David says, turn to me, Lord, because I am lonely and weak. Talk to God about his strengths. David says, who is this king, strong and mighty in battle? Tell God about your fears. He says, fear and trembling overtake me. I can't stop shaking. Pour out your desires to God. David says, you, Lord, know my deepest desires. There are no secrets. There's no secrets from God. God knows what's deep down in your heart. And openly admit your sins to God. David says, I confess my sins. I am deeply sorry. And say out loud what you know to be true, that God is my rock and my refuge and my fortress, my ever-present help in times of trouble. Speak it out with passion. That's how we love God with all our heart, okay? So do you tell God how you really feel? In your own personal prayer times and worship, are you real before God? Or are you just doing the token 
you know, going through the motions in your mind. Let's be real and honest before him, okay? Tell him how much you love him. Don't hold back. Be all in when you're worshipping like we were able to do. All in with worship, all in with prayer, okay? So let's love him with all our heart. How do we love God with all our soul? If I was to ask you where your heart was, we'd all go to here, wouldn't we? Where's your mind? Up here. But where's your soul? It's a bit tricky, isn't it? Can't really point to the soul. I suppose you're just kind of going everywhere, really, Um, because that's where your soul is. Your soul is you, really. Your foot, the soul of your foot. Absolutely, that's right, Greg. Soul of your foot. That's correct. The Old Testament uses the word Hebrew word nephesh, which actually means breath. The idea being that God breathes life into your living soul. But the New Testament uses the word psyche, which is the root word of our word psychology, which has to do with your will, your drive, your passion for life. So if you put those two words together, your soul is your life, your will, your passion with which you live, your God-given personality and the path your life is taking. It's kind of like the whole kind of you. How do you love God with all of you? It's pretty hard, isn't it? Um, We can love him passionately and with our unique voice. And I love that the whole worship thing today was so good. I don't want to keep harping on it, but it was really good. Um, and in worship, and I think Sharon, again, you said it, you've got to be unique. You've got to be you. You've got to loving God with your soul. is loving God with who you are, not the person next to you. And I, as you can tell, I'm very expressive. And I'm pretty expressive in worship. So if you stand next to me, you've got to look out because you're, you might get an arm in your head or... Greg's often stands away from me when I'm talking because the arms are flying. But, hey, but that's who I am. Why would I worship really quietly and like, oh, no. And that's okay. If that's who you are and if that's who God's created you, go for it. But if you're an expressive person, don't hold back in worship. Love the Lord with all your soul, all your being. And the one thing I do want to talk about today is our soul. Surrendering our will to God is a big part of loving God. And Jesus leads us in this area when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. That hour had come where he knew his time had come and he bowed down and he prayed those words, not my will, but yours be done. And again, in the Lord's Prayer, he gives us a great model. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it can be a habit in church to say, yes, God, your will be done in worship. Yes, God, your will be done. But you know what? If we're going to love God with all of our soul, we've got to do it in every area of our life, not just here in church, in our families, in our work, in our problems, in every area of our life, we need to just give to him, pray your will be done. And I had this little, it wasn't an epiphany, an analogy. Hey, Rob Gibber, you're going to be real proud of me. I'm using my cruise control. I'm like, ah, hey. I've been driving for a long time. I don't want to tell you how old I am, but a long time. I honestly can say I've never used cruise control until this year when I got badly booked. (laughs) Cost me a fortune. Now I use cruise control. Rob said to me one day, he said, you should be using cruise control. I'm like, I don't really know how to, but I've taught myself how to use it. It's really good. I drive slow, but... You set it and it just does it. You just set it at the right speed, not the highest speed, the right speed. 
So I do that on my little 60 and everyone else behind me is like, come on. I actually got had a bit of road rage one day. Adele, you were with me. I was doing the speed limit, Gibbo, 80 k's. And this pea plater bipping a horn behind me like, hurry up, old woman. I'm sure that's what she was saying. And I was very kind. I didn't say anything. Felt like it, but I just kept going along. I thought, my young people these days, I don't know. They just speed everywhere. I don't know. But hey, back to the cruise control. I set the cruise control and I thought, hey, God, that's just like when we pray, your will be done. God setting it, your will be done. Whatever, your kids, your marriage, whatever's going on. But with cruise control, if you don't take your foot off the accelerator, guess what happens? You just overrides it. And I look down, sometimes I go, oh, I'm speeding, back again. It just overrides the cruise control. How often do we do that when we pray to God, God, have your way, have your way in this situation. The next minute, here you are, hands on, controlling the whole situation. You've got the foot on the accelerator of life, haven't you? So remember that one. If you don't remember anything else today, remember the cruise control. Okay, next time you're praying, your will be done. And look, again, this one's been a tricky one for me. And um, one thing in particular, we've got a daughter living in the UK, as you know. Um, and it's really hard. It sounds easy to pray, yeah, God, your will be done, all that stuff. She, they've been over there for five years and they don't look like they're coming home in any hurry. You know how I'm talking about Dominic, that girl of mine and her grand, uh, grandchild, one-year-old. Um, so I used to pray this all the time. Oh, God, have your will. Your will be done. I didn't mean it. Not one bit did I mean it. <laughs> Only when I was writing this, I'm thinking, that was a stupid prayer. It was like, my will be done, God. Bring them back. I don't want them to stay in, in England. I want them to come home. But each time we go over there to visit, so it's a bit of a perk, I suppose, we get to England every couple of years, I see how happy they are. I see how they've grown in God. I see how God is using them. And nowadays, I'm being honest, when I pray, God, have your way in them, I actually mean it. Um, yes, I'd like them to come home so I could be closer to my family, but um, I really do mean, God, if you never bring them back, they're doing something wonderful for you and we've done our jobs. So I've got there. Oh, it's been a hard one though. And that looks just like I'm sure you can think of lots of instances in your own life where you're praying um, your will, God, your will. But if you can't, if you're not there, just pray that God will help you get to that place where you can actually pray that. And I had a picture in the early years when I was a Christian. I don't know what it is with me and cars. I don't even like cars. But I had a picture. God showed me a picture of me driving and my hands were chained to the wheel of the car. Okay? Hey, there used to be a song in the 70s about, I won't go there, chained to the wheel. Chained to the wheel, yeah. And he was sitting in the passenger seat. And I felt like he showed me that I was living my life totally my way, driving through life, and he was just sitting there as a bystander. And he, I felt like he wanted to swap seats with me. And um, that has taken place over the years. That was that control thing. So many of us have just got this control in our lives, some personalities more than others, and it's hard to let go. It's hard to let go. For 30 years of my life, I didn't know God. And I was controlling my life. So when you come to know Jesus, it's hard to just suddenly, oh, here it all is. It's little by little by little, giving it to God. And nowadays, with my cruise control on, 
I feel like I'm not chained to that wheel like I used to be. But you've got to fight it sometimes. That natural part of my soul tries to take over. So if we're going to love God with all our soul, we're going to learn to give him our will, okay? So where in your life right now do you need to pray that prayer? Lord, your will be done, not my will, in order to love him with all your soul. Is your worship a bit stale? Even in that a beautiful atmosphere this morning where you're still finding yourself a bit stale, go find that unique voice and that unique way that you can connect with God. Okay, moving along. Love God with all our mind. So many thoughts run through our minds and it can be so difficult just to get a clear mind. Not all our thoughts are pure, positive and about God just because we're Christians. Well, maybe yours are, but mine aren't always. Um, At its most basic, to love God with all your mind is to know that God's thoughts are thoughts of love toward you and for you to decide that your thoughts will be thoughts of love toward him. Easy to understand but difficult to do as so much distracts us and tempts us. Joyce Meyer wrote a book many years ago called The Battlefield of the Mind and she said, I heard her say one day, that um, it's still the biggest seller of all her books, close to 100 books she's got. So what does that say? People have trouble with their mind. It's a battlefield. To love God with all of our mind, we must put God's words in your mind. If left to itself, our minds will fill themselves up with selfish, anxious thoughts or thoughts that others put there. So we've got to learn to capture them and bring them under God's thoughts. So what are God's thoughts exactly? There's a piece of scripture in Philippians, and you all know this one too, four eight. It says this, this is Paul talking. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. These are the things we need to meditate on, on God's truth. When you do that, your anxiety levels go down. When you're, worried, when you're meditating on him, whatever's noble, appreciating God, whatever's right, cooperating with God. Before we can do what's right, guess what? We have to think what's right. Whatever's pure, think about what Jesus did for you and how much he loved you and allow that to sink in and wash away impure thoughts. Whatever's lovely, gosh, we live in a beautiful part of the world, don't we? We don't have to look far to see God's amazing creation. Whatever's excellent and praiseworthy, be motivated by God's greatness. It's not hard, but sometimes we've just got to realign our thinking. So grab that verse, make it part of your world, and when you find your thoughts all over the shop, bring them back. Bring them back to that and see how you go. Um, And look, it's not to ignore the fact that the world is all rosy and there's nothing bad in the world. There is evil in the world. But as we turn our thoughts to God, Isaiah 26.3 says this, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Okay, so question for you. Where's your thoughts been lately? How focused are they on God? Do you need to renew your mind? Then with all your strength, with all your strength, all your muscles, not really all about your muscles. It's all about the heart, soul and mind all coming together and touching our outer world okay we've got to do something in our outer world and we've got to believe that got to be confident that God can do anything 
Do you believe that? God can do anything because that's where your strength lies. If you don't believe that as a core value that God can use you and apart from him, you really can't do anything of eternal significance, we won't have strength in life. And you've got to trust that God can turn your weakness into strength. Okay, we've all got weaknesses. If I went around the room and asked you, we could all just talk about our weaknesses. And Paul talks about his weakness. He calls it a thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12. I won't read it all, but he says, when I'm weak, I am strong. When we know our weakness, we can give it to God and he turns it into a strength. So there's a difference between being honest about our weakness and focusing on our inadequacies. And again, Sharon came so well this morning. I used to have a terrible um, thing with being inadequate, being put into pastoring. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> Probably still don't, but getting better at it, getting better at it. I always felt totally inadequate. And um, I just thought, God, how can I possibly, possibly do what you're asking me to do? But if God can talk through a donkey in the Bible, he can talk through me, hey? Okay, he can use me. If he can use me, he can use anybody. But it's all about that heart just being surrendered to him. Not your will, God. Not my will, but yours. So don't get focused on your inadequacies. We've all got them. Don't hide from them. Don't focus on them. But give them to God. And he can use them. He will use them for strength. And I think another way to keep our strength in God is to keep your joy. And in Nehemiah, it says, The joy of the Lord is our strength. Lose your joy and you lose your strength. I think. So you've got to do everything you can to keep joy in your life. Regardless of what's going on in your life, you've got to just somehow maintain that joy. Don't let anyone steal it from you and don't give it away to anybody, okay? So keep that joy alive. Okay, ask God to give you strength in your weakness, okay? That's how we love God with all our strength. Okay, and the second part of the message is really a message in itself. And I think next time I speak, I might talk about that. But I'm just going to briefly talk about loving people as, love your neighbour as yourself. The specifics of that are just huge. So I won't go into all that today. But I think out of that love your neighbour as yourself, there's a command that Jesus is saying, encouraging us to love everyone, lots of people, and then to love someone. Okay? But before we can love our neighbour well, we have to love ourselves first. So important. To humbly know our identity in Christ, accept and appreciate who God's created you to be. To be kind to ourselves. To be forgiving of ourselves. So we can be kind and forgiving to others. We can't give others what we don't have ourselves. So it's a real journey, isn't it? Just to love who God has created you to be. And do you know that everyone is our neighbour, not just the person who lives next door to you? We use that word neighbour as in, oh, the person who lives either side of your house. But I think in this a much, much broader term, everyone is our neighbour. That means there's nobody outside the limits of our love. And in our humanness, this can be really hard to do, to love everybody. How do we do that? But we can do it in God's love only. We can't do it in our own. His love is an everyone, everywhere, all the time, unfailing, not judgmental kind of love. Whereas our human love is some people, some places, some of the time, when I feel like it kind of love. <laughs> so it is so true. 
So that's why we need God's love to love people. And sometimes we don't love because people are different from us. We have fears, but you know it's always a risk to love. Always a risk. And straight after that Q&A session we talked about before, they throw um, another question at Jesus and they go, well, who is my neighbour? And he goes into the beautiful parable about the Good Samaritan, which I won't go into, but um, you all know that story. The one who came to the need of the hurt man was the hero of the story and the one who was deemed the neighbour. So it was a genuine risk for that Samaritan to stop and help that injured man, but that didn't stop him. And Jesus says to everyone around him, go and do the same thing. Reach out to people. So we've got to take a risk to love people that are different from us, people from a different religion maybe, from a different race, from a different culture, from a different gender, lots of them out there. So take the risk. Love is the greatest risk you'll ever take. Do you know that? Let me read this quote from C.S. Lewis. So good. The Four Loves. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. Put it in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, and it will, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable impenetrable and irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. How good is that? Isn't that beautiful? So who's the person or people group in your world right now that you need to take the risk and love? We've all got them. The ones you pull away from, you know, they might even be in your own family. And we can't possibly love everyone. And I used to stress about this. Oh God, how can I love everybody? But do you know what? Jesus gives us the great example yet again. He's such an expert in all this. I don't think he sat down at night thinking about the list of people he was going to see tomorrow or a priority of how he'd filter. Oh, I might see that one. Nah, I might not see that one. Do you know what he did? He simply loved people as the opportunity arose each and every day. If he was in Jerusalem, he loved the people in Jerusalem. If he was on the road, he loved those he was on the road with and the ones he met along the way. And we can do the same thing. We can just love those that are in our world every day that God puts there. Pray for opportunities for God to bring those people into your world. As you raise your family, take every moment that presents and love them well. Love them well. In your workplace, school, wherever you are with people, just love the few that are in your world. Don't worry about the hundreds that you can't love. Just love the ones that God puts there. And another question, last question. Who is that? Who is it in your world that needs you, your love right now? They're right there. Maybe you've been pushing them away, whatever. Who are you going to risk to love? So we can love everybody, the big general. But you know what happens sometimes? When you can't love everybody, you love nobody because it's too hard. So there's all the everybody's out there, but there's the someone's that God's got right there. so, But we can't do it without his love. His relationship with Jesus is the most important relationship we'll ever have. And when we get that right, loving him with all our heart, our soul, our mind and our strength, then we get better at loving those 
in our world. None of us are perfect, so don't be beat up. Just give it to God and just work in those. Let Him work. Let the Holy Spirit work in those areas that we all need a little bit of working on so that we can love well. And you know what? I have a crazy mind. As Sharon was talking about her mind. I think, oh God, you saw my mind and how it works. I'm preparing this message this week and all I'm going to do is sing in this stupid song. And it's a Colin Buchanan song. I used to teach it in kids' church. You've got to love the Lord with all your heart. That was the name of the song. And then you'd go, you've got to shake your right arm up and down. You shake your left arm. You shake your right leg, your left leg, your whole body. And we used to look stupid, crazy. Kids would all be like, yeah, and singing, dancing. But do you know what? That was loving God with all your being. Every bit of you. There was, kids don't hold back. Why as adults do we hold back? I looked for a video. I thought, oh, that'd be so good to finish that. We could all just dance and sing. But let's be all in for God. Let's just not give him our right hand. Yeah, a bit of a shake. You know. No, he doesn't want that. He wants all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our being. So let's do that, hey? Make a decision in your heart to go out of this place today and do something different. Change something so that you're even um, more in love with Jesus than you were when you walked in. So, Father God, oh, Jesus, we love you. And we are just humans that just make so many mistakes. But we do love you with all our heart, Lord God. And help us, Holy Spirit, make those changes to be real and emotional when we talk with you, to give you our will, Lord God, not to want things our way, to renew our mind daily with your word and meditate on your goodness and your nobleness and your truth and with our strength Lord God surrendering our weaknesses to you and help us love those in our world Lord those that are right in front of us that need us and those that are different to us Lord but just as much need our love so we just give you all the honour all the glory have your way Lord in us and just before I finish with all eyes closed that relationship with Jesus I believe is the most important relationship most important one you'll ever make. Biggest decision you'll ever make is to ask Jesus to come into your heart. And it's not weird. It's just you giving up a few of your rights and going, yeah, God, I want to know you more. I really want you to come into my life and show me. So if you've never made that decision, I would love to give you that opportunity today just to say, yeah, Jesus, I'm willing to have a go with this thing to get to know you more. So with all eyes closed, if that's you today, just pop your hand up. And um, I'll just have a talk with you afterwards and have a prayer time with you and just ask Jesus to come and show himself to you today. Thanks. Thank you for that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, that each and every time, Lord, someone comes to know you, God, the angels in heaven just clap and cheer because they know, God, that lives are going to be changed. So thank you, Lord, today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the message today brought to you by Baylife Church. We hope the message leaves you feeling challenged and inspired to live out your Christian walk. Please tune in again for next week's message.